Welcome back to This Septic Isle. We're on part four of the David Gill story, The British Tiger King. Joining me as ever is Geordie Paul. How are you doing, Geordie? Here we are, for me today, because last week's, I will admit, you know, I left quite depressed. Yeah, it was uh, it was rough. Um, we aren't dealing with so many human deaths, just veritable shitstorm of animal mistreatment, malpractice and malnutrition. So uh, fun, fun times. Well, I mean, I guess on the plus side there, I can make a joke without being concerned that the animal's mother's going to hear. Yeah. I mean, these are David Gill animals. Their mothers were killed long, long ago. It's not entirely sad. David Gill in this episode also finds love. So that's exciting. So you get to find... We love a good romance. Yep. (laughs) So why not just dive right in? So part four. This is the point where we're going to have to introduce two new characters to the story. A lady called Karen Brewer, who we're going to come on to in a bit and Gil's latest wife, Frida Rivera Schreiber. Rivera Schreiber had led a colourful life to match Gil's own. Daughter of a former Miss Peru, she went on to compete in the contest herself and reached the finals. This set her up for a modelling career, which included a memorable instant where she leapt from the back of a panicking horse during a catwalk show in 2005. So reckless behaviour around animals. (laughs) Yeah, they perfect each other. Swipe right from Big Dave. Modelling is famously precarious, so Rivera Schreiber prepared for life beyond the runway by becoming a qualified vet in 2008, although it's unclear how much hands-on experience she gained after acquiring the qualification. That's going to be important later, so just bear that one in mind. Okay, because so far I'm thinking that's a fair few talents. I'm impressed, but I'm sure it'll go downhill. Yeah, I I think you haven't realised what show you're on if you don't see where all of this is going. (laughs) Yeah, I keep thinking maybe it's going to be a positive story about (laughs) self-improvement, but (laughs) I need to remember why we're here. (laughs) The people don't want positive stories. They want the misery. It's not like you you didn't lie to me with the pitch, so I don't know why I keep assuming it's going to be any different. Oh, you think this one's bad? Just wait till you see what I've got on Jeremy Kyle. Um, (laughs) Right. Okay, so... Rivera Schreiber reportedly met Gill at some point in 2013 before marrying a year later at a ceremony in her homeland. When the newlywed couple returned to England, Schreiber was in a position that many of us have been in and found herself looking for a new job. Unlike most of us, she was able to turn to her millionaire husband and get a position as a vet coordinator in his zoo. Now, personally, Geordie, I've never asked my millionaire husband to give me a vet coordinator's position uh, in his zoo, principally because he doesn't exist. But also, you'd feel a little bit like it's kind of been handed to you, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, there's a pride issue, you know. I'd I'd personally like to be self-made. But also, you know, why why would you start at such a high point? Surely start as the intern, work your way up. Oh, you You know, know, if you've got an entry-level paid position of some kind. It's not like, you know, she necessarily needs the money if she's got her millionaire husband. She is not poor either. Her her family, by a stretch of the imagination. I don't know if her wealth is quite a gills, but this is not some... You know, someone who's grown up uh, completely rags to riches. I think, at the very least, her family was comfortably middle class. Yeah, um, so, so this job is, it's a mix of boredom and ego. I think that's a very, very good way of putting it. See, this is why we've got you on, that kind of insight. <laughs> right. There were some little hiccups with this arrangement, namely that she was not in the possession of any UK veterinary qualifications and that her Peruvian licence had by this point been declared void. Trivial stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. We can all smooth over the cracks. Yeah. My Peruvian driving license has been declared void. I still drive around. 
Oh, God. This may not have been as problematic if the role had been more of an administrative and supervisory one, but her interpretation of it appears to have been a rather more hands-on approach. Gill claimed her role was administrative and did not involve veterinary procedures on any live animal. That's a direct quote. He adds, all post-mortems were authorised by the zoo vets, then checked by the vets and signed off. Those quotes are from a Daily Mail article. This is disputed by a former keeper who recalls seeing Schreiber carrying out a post-mortem on an antelope in the area where the meat was prepared for the carnivores, something that shockingly is not considered best practice. I mean, I mean, I guess if you make a mess, you can just feed it. I genuinely think animals, that was but... her logic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least they're getting a nice meal out of it. Is this the room where the other dead animals are? Oh, cracking. Like... Leave them there, and then David Gill can go and sell that animal feed. Well, also, what happens if you're carrying out the autopsy and you find out, oh, this antelope died of a highly infectious disease, as you have it in the middle of the food prep room? That wouldn't have stopped them getting out that food. Well, I think we all know that. We'll we'll come on to that. Um, I also don't think she would have been able to identify an animal that died of a highly infectious disease. But there we go. Again, that is an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Just protected by incompetence. Yeah. You can't get ill with an illness I've never heard of. (laughs) So... Uh, it later transpired she'd carried out up to 150 autopsies on various creatures that died at the zoo. The Mail, once again showing their usual subtlety in an article whose title asks, Is This Britain's Cruelest Couple?, reported that a Royal College of Veterinary Surgeon spokesman says, A post-mortem examination implies a diagnosis is being made and an opinion provided regarding a disease or injury. As a diagnosis is something only a vet can undertake, it would not be appropriate under the Veterinary Surgeons Act 1966 for a non-vet to undertake a post-mortem examination. Very reasonable. Administrative role. If you don't know what you're doing, you are quite literally just hacking an animal to pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You can write a a fancy paragraph about it, but if you don't know what you're talking about, all you've done is gone into a room with a saw and had a pop at an animal. Yeah, I mean, essentially this is one step up from me preparing the Christmas lunch. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, the I'm kitchen's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least I'm, I'm not doing it under the guise of scientific knowledge. <laughs> but I had a little look into this. I've actually got, uh, got onto the Veterinary Surgeons Act 1966 itself, and that stipulates no individuals shall practice or hold himself or herself out as practicing or as being prepared to practice veterinary surgery unless he is registered in the Register of Veterinary Surgeons or the Supplementary Veterinary Register. And an individual who acts in contravention of this subsection shall be liable A, on summary of conviction to a fine not exceeding £100, B, on conviction on indictment to a fine. Under the terms of the Act, it would have been impossible for the zoo's vets to have lawfully authorised Schreiber to carry out those autopsies unless it was in the capacity of her formally studying towards a UK veterinary licence, something that was demonstrably not the case. That Gill gave these quotes publicly implies not so much a flagrant disregard for the law as a total ignorance of it. It kind of links into what we've been saying all along, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and realistically, what is a a fine that can cap out at a hundred pounds. I mean, this That's is from the sixties. You know, you think 1966, that was a big fine. Oh yeah. But if you don't update the law, you know, what was he, you know, he's been spending hundreds of thousands on fines. <laughs> he's probably just quite he's excited gonna... to find a fine he could get. Though. <laughs> yeah. He's not having to sell his Buffalo to pay a hundred pounds. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's got very much the Pokemon approach. He's got to catch them all when it comes to uh, <laughs> financial penalties. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this fine was ever actually applied, but I think section B, which is on conviction or indictment to a fine, so I think that 
realistically would be what they'd be uh, applying nowadays, unless it was a genuine administrative error that had happened rather mm. you know what I mean? Sort of someone has broken the law by the letter, but there was a legitimate reason. Not at all what we're seeing here. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and I think so. yeah. I think this this does just smack of the arrogance of I can do what I want and so can my wife. Yeah, I, I do totally agree with you there. You know, once again, we, we keep talking about the patterns that are being shown. This is just standard by this point. You know, every episode we come on and say, he ignored this, he thought you know, this didn't apply to him. And it, he wasn't ever pulled up on it either, so he just did it again and again. Yeah, the business-owning millionaire rebel outsider. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, as I said, Gil, there's a, an ignorance of the law. Someone I'd be more hesitant saying that about is Karen Brewer, the other lady who begins to take prominence at this part of the story. The Guardian reports how Brewer worked for Gill for 15 years, starting off as an admin assistant and rising to become zoo manager, zoo educator, zoo and office manager, and finally CEO. Gill was often traveling, so Brewer would sit in for him at inspections or council meetings. There are two important things to take from this. Firstly, that Brewer has little to no hands-on experience with or training in animal management. And secondly, that she has spent a significant part of her professional career in Gill's organization. Neither of these things are inherently problematic in themselves, but there are a number of dissenting voices that allege she was, if anything, worse than Gill. Oh, God. Yeah. So despite his lack of proper training and disregard for the rules, a lifetime of keeping animals mean at least some of the basics had rubbed off. You know, I I do not feel that David Gill is by any way, you know, standing to BIAZA standards across the board. But there'll be some stuff, particularly with your less complicated creatures you, yeah, yeah. you're less exotic don't approach stuff. a horse from behind that sort of thing yeah or you know you know what i mean sort of things like you might have learned by observation if you're keeping lemurs for 10 years that i don't know ringtails prefer grapes and red rough lemurs prefer bananas you know what i mean like yeah yeah i think you could also learn that by maybe going on a formal education course in three years and you're going to a college or university but it may have taken them longer but i think for all i think he is hopeless and a lot of the things he does are ignorant and quite often immoral i'm not going damn everything about him for the sake of of wanting to create this total villain for the purpose of the narrative you know i think it it would be disingenuous to say he knows nothing about animals i just think it is not nearly enough for a man in his position brewer doesn't have that level of knowledge okay so he like he can put up the facade of it all working just fine even though it's not you know and obviously we see that it's not when the this tragedy strikes sort of like you said when you're visiting the zoo you didn't see anything wrong she couldn't even sort of hold up that facade well, you know, say someone like me or you who've got a passing interest in wildlife, I've no doubt he knows a lot more about it than us. But yeah, trained zookeeper who has either done a degree or a college course in animal management and has genuine experience working with these creatures hands-on for several years, th- there's no question who I'd be trusting more. Uh, and she fails to even meet, you know, the, those low, low standards. Yeah, that, that David Gill knows more than a man. Yeah. <laughs> a man of a podcast and and an <laughs> arts degree <laughs> knows more than him about, about keeping exotic animals. So whilst there was a litany of instances involving animal deaths, I think it would be fair to call the way the zoo ran unsafe and possibly unethical. But for those animals who escaped the safety violations, life did not appear to be relentlessly terrible. At the very least, it appears they were fed and watered to the best of the staff's ability and attempts were made to give them enough space. At some point, this began to change. It's hard to pinpoint exactly when, but there seems to be a rough correlation between this and the horrible death of Sarah McClay in its aftermath. 
perhaps in recognition of future difficulties in the renewal of the zoo license, or perhaps as a reaction to negative publicity, Gill appears to have had a desire to become less public facing. While still remaining as the owner of the business, there was an image projected of a less hands-on approach, and from the outside, it appears that Brewer had an increasing presence in the decision-making process of the park. I mean, you know it must be going bad if he wants to take a step back. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that we, we commented on it last time, that case, he is a man who I think very much needs to be the hero of whatever story he's in. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether it be the, the, the tragic hero or, you know, the the brave man running into the burning building and ultimately someone who through whose incompetence perhaps it you know you could say indirectly but still through that a young lady died you know that's that's not heroic and uh i think you know even for someone like david gill it, it must have been very hard to try and uh to try and square that internally and i think that the simplest thing to do would just be retreat that's yeah just my my reading of the situation yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's just, I don't trust him to pick someone out. I don't trust him to do anything. <laughs> no, like, I wouldn't be proud to say I was David Gill's protege. No, I mean, you, you wouldn't trust him to look after your hamster. Well, because if it gets little... out of the ball, um, it gets shot. Yeah, well, exactly. And uh, and then he, he poses on the front of the newspaper talking about how it was a tough decision, but he had to do what was right. You know, you know like it's also biography. Yeah, <laughs> I looked into Fluffy's eyes, the ball, <laughs> the ball spiraling across the living room floor, and I knew what I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I love nature, honestly. And I was really gutted when that was cited by the family court as a reason I couldn't see my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy shot the hamster. They said, "Quiet, child." <laughs> Would Indiana Jones have said that? He was a real person. You can ask him. Oh, dear. Oh, Baby dear Indiana. Indiana Gill. <laughs> Just like the VHS knockoff that you would have got in like the mid-90s. <laughs> right, okay. Between November 2014 and July 2015, no less than nine different management teams were proposed to the council. They all had one thing in common. Namely, that Gill was pulling the strings and Brewer was consistently nominated as either manager or CEO. Gill himself makes the claim that in 2015, I gave up animal management altogether so I could concentrate on the business side of things and the building of the new part of the zoo. Karen Brewer was made CEO. She employed everybody, oversaw standards, management, marketing. She was in charge of everything, including animal welfare. And for the last 15 years, I've only spent six months of the year in the UK. So for the last 15 years, Karen Brewer has been managing the zoo for half the year from the Guardian article. So very keen to establish that yeah. Brewer was in charge. Very you know, keen. This screams, you know, Brewer was in charge. It's not me. You know, very much setting Brewer up as the full guy. Unlike the glory days of the late 90s. Um, you can't just take, you know, credit for killing animals anymore. This is no PC Vulture gone mad. <laughs> We're not PC Vulture gone mad because her Vulture had gone mad. David Gill would have shot it. <laughs> Gill is not the only one to make accusations about Brewer. In the same Guardian article that quote is from, a number of keepers were approached and asked about the Brewer regime. All but one spoke under the condition of anonymity, with the first alleging that I have been made by Miss Brewer to feed the animals mouldy bread in the past and have been reprimanded for throwing it away. I was regularly having to beg for scraps from the zoo restaurant kitchen just to give the animals some fresh food. God, that's like, that's really bad. Remind you of any 
lockdown feline based documentaries yeah i mean it's what you know like you said it's stages the zoo goes into crisis so yet more corners are cut like an accident happens so the zoo goes into crisis more corners are cut so then there's the next crisis and meanwhile the management is obsessed with you know a, a new relationship and takes his finger off what was already a very weak pulse yeah The individual went on to talk about how they perceive the management structure to be somewhat dictatorial and leave little room for bad decisions to be challenged, describing how there was no committee or board, so the management had complete power and control. The food was inadequate. On a daily basis, I had to go down to the supermarkets to pick up out-of-date leftovers. The baboons were being fed Danish pastries and other cakes and all the bread left behind in the rhino enclosure. The birds would get dog biscuits. The white gibbons would be living on a diet of 50% seed, not 70 or 80% fruit and vegetables. That's what it said they were getting on the signs outside the enclosure. When I threw out some rotting ham and eggs, another member of staff rummaged through the bins and reported me for wasting food. God, I mean, apart from the idea of a baboon eating a Danish pastry being quite funny. Yeah, like, it is terrible. Well, I say it's cute. Wait till you read about these baboons. They were not as cute as you would have thought. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that that is terrible. And I mean, you know, the one thing that seems to happen is he does seem to be able to get people on site, like this member of staff, you know, reporting. You know, people do get on board with the regime. And I think that is that is the thing. When you've been in an environment like this for so long, I think either it wears away at you and you leave, or if you stay, you... The only way to may survive, be a strong word, yeah. but yeah... It is by like accepting it. You can't, you know, accept working in an environment you find horrible forever. So you either alter your mind so that the environment is is the right way to do it, or you leave. You know, I think you you start believing what you're doing is the right thing because yeah, okay, it might be multi food, but otherwise the animals go hungry, and you start convincing yourself you're doing the lesser evil. Mm. And again, just that's just my sort of theory on it. I, I can't really see any other way you can sort of square it with yourself. Yeah. Now we're just a real empire of sort of horror he's managed to build. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, that story of, of going to the local supermarket for the, the leftovers, as, as I said, you know, Walmart truck, that is, again, just direct comparison. It's, it's uncanny. The more I read about it, the more things that kept on coming up like this. Now, here we come to a gentleman named James Potter. He was the only former keeper prepared to go on record with his willingness to reveal his name coming from the fact that he and his wife were about to relocate abroad. So, yeah, good that, you know, he feels safe. Hero. <laughs> Beyond Gil's reach. Because he's going to Australia, <laughs> the only safe place from Gil. <laughs> Probably somewhere for strong gun control. <laughs> so Potter describes how higher status animals have the greatest chance of being fed. There is a pecking order. The ones who are more highly prized are the ones they can make money from. Lemurs, camels, giraffes, that the public pay to hand feed. I'd be told, give them the nicer looking carrots. When this was put to Brewer, she made no comment about the pecking order, but said that animal husbandry had improved since January. So yeah, since January, we don't rank the animal's survivability <laughs> on how cute they are. So that's fine. <laughs> I, like, yeah, no comment. But like, we're just doing better. Like, what a generic performance report. We're doing better. We can and will do better. Now that all the ugly animals have died. Yeah. The, the weak ones are dead now, so we're fine. <laughs> have you heard of a little person called Darwin? He said this would all work out. Uh, the real irony is the giant tortoises were the ones that we killed off first. 
<laughs> they were slow. <laughs> the oh, food God. wasn't mouldy when we gave it to them. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, that prioritising of, of, of animals, I've read about that in uh, stories of, of zookeepers in, like, the Second World War when yeah. food shortages were on. You know, in wartime Eastern Europe, when you've got the Red Army bearing down near one end and Nazi soldiers coming into the zoo to shoot the hoofstock for meat on the other. But, I mean, this is this is Britain in the 2010s. Yeah, like, there's no reason for this to be happening. You know... Just greed. Yeah, or, or incompetence or unwillingness to hand the animals over to another institution. There, there are rescue facilities for creatures like this in Britain and in Europe. I'm not saying that yeah. every single one could have been, but I'm fairly sure other facilities would have would have taken these animals had they been asked, at least some of them. But then there would have been a spotlight on everything that was going wrong, and that could have led to interventions and shutting down. Well, exactly, yeah, but I think this is what makes a mockery of the claim it's about the animals. Oh, yeah, like it, it is not about the animals. <laughs> it never was. Right. Just to continue the, uh, the, the, the cheerfulness and good laughs, a third keeper recalled of her time there. How there were never enough two-way radios and how frightening it was to be left in a dangerous animal enclosure without one. How staff would leave animals to die because it was cheaper than calling the vet to have them euthanized. How rampant inbreeding saw some of the primates born of disturbing genetic defect. Their heads the wrong size at funny angles on their necks. Things like that. You could see the animals wasting away in front of you. They were malnourished and full of infections. The hippos had such dry skin it was cracking. But David Gill said that was natural in the wild. We wanted to bathe them, but he closed the indoor pool. He'd say, why would you put them through that? The animals wouldn't touch the outdoor hippo pool. We weren't allowed to clean it, and it was full of excrement, like a toilet. The hippo pool would be cleaned only once every 12 months before the early inspections. Karen would get us all in an hour early, brushing every path, cleaning all the enclosures. Because the zoo has no drainage system, the stuff was shoveled into a wheelbarrow and poured somewhere the inspectors wouldn't see. The inspections would only last for two hours anyway. A lot to unpack there. Yeah, that final point, just to jump ahead before we start, it's sort of, we keep saying, how did he get away with this? How did he get away with this? The fact the inspections would only last for two hours shows this is almost bigger than him. You know, there is something fundamentally wrong with the way that zoos are regulated. That and the fact that he's provided by a local authority with whom he has a, uh, a fairly long-standing relationship. I think the need for independent adjudication is something that you see in a lot of walks of life. And I don't see why something like this should be any different. Yeah. Because also, with the greatest respect to Cumbria's councillors, what's their knowledge set like to adjudicate what makes a good zoo? Okay, if you turn up and there's like a dead lion just in the middle of a field, that's probably a bit of a red flag. But I wouldn't know how to spot that a site didn't have a drainage system. No, no, no. And I don't feel it's unusual that I don't either. No. And why are all these inspections so... Where's the spot checks? Yeah. You can't just... You know, I could tell anyone you've got an inspection in six months' time for anything. And I'm sure they could get it in, you know, working order to pass the inspection if I didn't know what I was looking for. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe the inspectors did. But when the report's fed back, the councillors who have to go, this report satisfies us, this report does not satisfy us. Mm-mm. Is there a um, a zoological expert called in to consult the findings? I don't know. I couldn't find anything saying there was. I couldn't find anything saying there wasn't. 
but I would be very interested to see to what level of scrutiny these reports were subjected. I would be interested as to, you know, what reason this they would give for why he got away with this. But going back like, through that, going... Point, there's, there's so much. I mean, sorry, what were you saying? I, I just don't think, you know, it's not like it's well-planned. I don't think getting in an hour early before the inspection is shoveling the shit away. That's not like a well-planned operation that they, you know, they're hiding it really well. They're not, they're not even really attempting to cover it up that much. A bit of cleaning isn't covering up all the bodies, for example. They still got away with it. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that left out with me was that there's not enough two-way radios and you're alone in dangerous animal enclosure. Someone literally died in exactly that scenario and you yeah. haven't taken measures. And, and no one's ensured that they've taken the measures. You think, what does it take to, to facilitate change? Clearly, a human life is not enough. What it would take is, is David Gill finding himself in that situation, I think. I think that's the only way it would change. Yeah, but again, for David Gill, it's a rip-roaring adventure. And you, when you're always packing, it's either give all the staff guns or give all the staff radios. And I'm not really keen on a community of armed zookeepers, some of whom have a cult-like devotion to this figure. And, you know, you, you look again, the, the inbreeding, you know, I know... There are stud books kept of animals across Europe, deliberately designed to prevent this kind of thing. There are programs of sterilization, of spaying and neutering that are strictly encouraged, particularly in uh, creatures with the capacity to breed quickly. I'd say this is relatively common knowledge. This has been, some of it I knew before writing this, some of it has been quite easy to find out. It's making me think it's either laziness or, as we'll read about later, there may have been ulterior motives for ensuring this kind of thing happened. But the, the inbreeding as well, you know, no attempts at uh, at maintaining any kind of coherent breeding program is just put a bunch of monkeys in a pen and let them all fuck yeah like there's no order whatsoever in every aspect of this there's just no order pure stick something in a cage and see what happens whether that's a couple of lions to shag or a lion and a human to feed there's not going to be any oversight there's not going to be any checking and there's not going to be any procedure when you see put a bunch of stuff in a cage, that was something that South Lakes was notorious for, was its mixed species exhibits. And you've probably seen in zoos, you know, like zebra and antelope sharing a pen. Or, or, yeah, know, and, and that kind of thing is generally seen as fine. They mingle in the wild. But with gill, you'd have things like large monkeys, I think like mandrills, sharing a pen with pygmy hippos. And you think it's just an odd combination. Or you'd, you'd have, um, in, in some cases, sort of bears in with monkeys and 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 capybaras you just think this is this is a nightmare this is a it's nightmare a way powder keg. no recognition of, of the natural behavior of these creatures in the wild and then put them in a small pen and then wonder why they start dying and the hippo pool as well you know david gill the, these animals being in discomfort is natural and why would you put why would you put a hippopotamus through being in water yeah why would um, you bathe it you know that's not torture why, why would a hippo want to be submerged in water? I mean, he's not that thick. He can't be. No, no, exactly. I think it's just someone else is wanting to do something and it's, you can't do it because I haven't thought of it or you can't do it because I say so or how dare you have an independent thought. By making everyone else seem stupid, that, that can also make them more compliant because the next time they think of something, they'll be like, oh no, no, I, I don't have enough knowledge about this because I'll be told off. I think, he is a bully. That is evident in a lot of his dealings with people in various facets of life that he meets. He seems to have this sort of bullying, domineering personality 
particularly towards those who he has authority over. Because he tried it a little bit, you know, sort of with his, his bullish denials about McLean. You think the police and the BBC and the Mail and the Guardian and the independent organisations of whom he had no sway just didn't buy it for a second. And that led to him trying to retreat from public life. So moving on, Brewer appears savvier than Gill, less openly antagonistic and more capable of playing the game. Those council meetings that she attended on his behalf appear to have honed her political instincts. She is less given to explosive outbursts than her one-time mentor. That is not to say that she took nothing from Gill or that there are no similarities in their approaches. When asked for comment about James Potter's allegations, Brewer told The Guardian that he was dismissed due to concerns in his relation to his ability to carry out his role and anger slash attitude issues. On the question of animal food, she said, since January, we no longer depend on donated food from supermarkets, and that since mid-2016, they no longer use food from the zoo restaurant. Rat poison is used outside of animal areas. The Barbarossa's death had nothing to do with nutritional change, and the other animal deaths were due to normal causes such as gout, social breakdown, or acute septicemia. While still upsetting, these reported deaths were the result of organ failure or infectious causes and did not follow historical patterns of husbandry or management concerns. Other deaths are representative of a normal zoo's mortality patterns. So yeah, this is something we didn't mention, but um, a, a wild pig called Barbarossa died. Again, there was a lot of questions about it. Some people were saying that, oh, it had stomach issues. Others were saying the reason its appetite had changed was because it was pregnant. There's a, there's a bit of controversy about that one. Yeah. So again I mean, just it, another... it's just denial 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 or even like you said she's a bit more savvy if not outright denial it's often no we don't do that anymore that way even if there's evidence against her it's oh we just don't do that anymore but it is still you know a form of denial constantly yeah and, and i mean i think this is the thing when you you look at that she is so much savvier than than gill I think well, yeah, in terms of PR it, and politicking. Yeah, that, that's like a functional paragraph that you've read me. That you know, that reads like an adult. Yeah, th- there's no reference to her being the greatest adventurer the world has ever seen, or whatever, or that David Gill's always the best or the greatest. There's a, a, a small acknowledgement that things have been better, or are better now than they used to be, implying it's not always been perfect. But it's specific targeted denials. I mean, what do you think of Brewer from what you know, sort of the what you've you've heard of her today? I mean, I think she's an opportunist. I think she saw that Gil needed to take a step back, and she could step in and have a bit of power somewhere with, I think, very little oversight from Gil. Yeah, I think initially she was very much a Gil loyalist, like a lot of people in there, and I think it is interesting that. You know, we'll, we'll come on to this in next week's episode in more detail, but minor spoiler alert, they don't speak these days. Okay. Um, so I think it is interesting that somebody within the organisation kind of grew to to hold these positions. Because it seems odd to me that on one level, but I suppose from the other, he wouldn't want to bring an external management. I think he'd almost have to promote his own people. Yeah, oh, you'd have to promote from within because you need someone that you have moulded. But like, it is a bit strange if they, they go awry because I think she sort of is a good position with little oversight. But yeah, that doesn't mean she's she's done her time from the start. Yeah, right. I suppose. So you you would expect her to follow. You would expect her to follow like a degree of of the Gill philosophy. 
And I suppose she does in terms of, you know, the deny, deny, deny approach. Also, you know, that she seems more willing to acknowledge the, the hoops she has to jump through or the boxes she has to tick to keep the zoo license going. Whereas with him, it's, why can't I do what I like? With her, it's much more of that smile and nod when you need to, shake hands when you need to, and then just carry on being, you know, yeah. a miscreant in the background. I think it's almost like he rubbed off on her, but with an amount of nuance that means she can function within a society. Yeah, like like we said, attending those council meetings, running the zoo for large chunks of the year as he was off gallivanting. There is a sort of clear space that he left behind in that organisation. And again, I can maybe see how that would have happened if you know the boss is away, you get used to running the shop, and then this man comes back who suddenly knows best. It must great. Mm. I, I do think there was a level of, I want to step into this role and be in control. I think he rubbed off on her in that way. I don't think he intended to, but I think you know some of his arrogance did rub off on her. Yeah, uh, or certainly the arrogance of, I can do what I like with this place. Yeah. Um, I mean, the phrase, like, he was dismissed due to his concerns um, in relation to his ability to carry out his role because of, like, anger issues. That's, I think that's quite an arrogant thing to, well, you know, just you dismiss know, someone. Discredit the witness, which, again, yeah. has been a sort of a gill thing. Well, he did it with Sarah McClay. She did all of this. She undid all the logs. We don't know why she did it. Discredit the victim, discredit the witness, rather than discredit the story itself. And then go on to deny, deny, deny once you've planted those seeds of doubt. It's sort of the same principle as fake news, isn't it? If you Absolutely. condemn the source ahead of the, the content, then the content is already sort of damned by association. So thoughts on Brewer and thoughts on uh, Fr- on Rivera Schreiber as well. Gil's I mean, dream woman. Yeah. I'm su- is he still with her now? Still with her now. Spoilers, but... Yeah, still okay. with her now. I mean, I wonder, you know, what was going on there. I wonder, you know, why he stayed with her. There must be something special about her. But I mean, once again, I think, you know, he's almost starting Gil surrounding himself with people very much like him. She's like him in the sense of, you know, wealthy former model. You know, I feel exactly the kind of woman David Gill would see himself as he should be dating. Yeah, but he's also, you know, quite mercurial with women. But I think, you know, he's surrounding himself with people just like him. I think she's quite like him in the sense of, you know, she's not qualified to do anything, yet she continues doing it. And then Brewer's, you know, using the Gill playbook as well. And he's surrounding himself with people like him. But I don't think that's a good combination. Well, that's quite explosive. This is the thing that that trap James Potter, who bravely spoke out, he did a few things. So he went to the council with a list of complaints and he's he's arguing that when they say they didn't receive lists of concerns, he's literally marching to the building, carrying a, a printout with all of his. So you think, well, what happened there? You know, maybe James Potter was well-meaning and didn't tick quite the right box for it to go to the right person or maybe the council's not being honest but also he said he started out as a volunteer basically and just tidying up around the place and you know like being around animals and that's how i ended up getting a job as a zookeeper and i know most zoos in the uk require sort of extensive animal management experience for letting you handle exotic animals you know either whether it be through a college or university or maybe through long-term work with uh, maybe more prosaic animals, but there's an understanding of what the hard work involved and to, I think there's some degree of transferable skills, particularly if, say, you're used to looking after cattle and then you're looking after hoofstock, bison, you think there might be certain things that, that can sort of cross over. 
but this is just a man who liked animals and eventually ended up getting given a job. I mean, again, the Joe Exotic vibe, people who are down and out and want something cool and exciting in their lives, and this charismatic figure is there to offer it to them. I don't know, like, what's your, what's your thoughts on... Yeah, I do agree with you. You know, I think, like we said at the start, when he was dating teenagers, he's, he's very magnetic. And I think, but also the environment's very magnetic. And, you know, sometimes it attracts the most wonderful people who really care for the animals, but sometimes it attracts these people who are missing something and just create pure chaos. Yeah, I think pure chaos is is really the direction we're heading in. Again, it's my, my be... main takeaway is I'm not happy. Yeah, about the entire situation. <laughs> that is probably the best response you could. <laughs> this has made me sad. I don't want a nuance criticism. I just want to remind you I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy, and I blame David Gill. <laughs> I feel actively bad. David Gill has made my life worse. In that regard, I'm like an animal in the South Lake Zoo. <laughs> Je suis South Lake Zoo. <laughs> David Gill will come to your house later and take pot shots at you through the window. Oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, looking ahead to next week's episode, it's going to be a slightly shorter one again this week. But when you said it's got a bit chaotic, there is a the level to which it's become chaotic really gets laid bare when um, a proper report finally gets published on South Lakes. And next week, we're going to be having a look at uh, some of that report's findings and some of the incidents which, one, led to it being commissioned and two, which in the course of it being written were exposed. Some of it is typical Gil shenanigans. Some of it is some truly shocking stuff. I know we heard today about the the inbreeding and the uh, the failure to adequately provide food. Some of the the things which are revealed in there are uh, honestly quite shocking. You know, the the leading I've got as well is we're not just looking at this report. We're also looking at a power struggle. Karen Brewer, as we mentioned, was not an unquestioning disciple. And she'd started to think the unthinkable, that there could be a South Lake Zoo without David Gill. As the background drama rumbled on, the zoo was about to face arguably the greatest threat to its existence yet. So you excited for uh, for part five next week? Uh, I, I can't wait. You know, nothing I love more than petty melodrama between two people I thoroughly dislike. Oh, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> but do you want to have a little speculation? What do you think is going to happen next? I'm guessing at some point, obviously, Gil will have a falling out with the council. Maybe instigated by Brewer, maybe not. So there'll be a threat maybe that she'll have to take over in order to keep the zoo open, which he's not going to let go of the reins very willingly. So maybe they'll just have like a bare knuckle fight in the street. That's what I'm hoping for. I think, spoiler alert, but there is a possibility that they they play real life Pokemon in which they, they each select five animals from the zoo to do battle for them. While standing in a field in the South Lakes, but due to the crippling malnutrition, none of the animals are up to much. (laughs) The hippos with cracked skin aren't doing too much damage. Zimba the rhino, I choose you. Oh, never mind. (laughs) The lion that's lost the bottom half of its jaw can't bite. David, use checkbook. It's super effective. Uh, I mean, we're getting to the point where David's checkbook stopped being super effective, both in getting him out of trouble and, you know, just generally as a reflection of its diminished power. So there is there is very much that to look forward to. But uh, yeah, yeah, I He's think lost his social capital. 
at least and his, some of his financial capital as well. This uh, again, I think I've said this in a couple of episodes. It's difficult to get exact readings on the man's wealth. We knew he was rich, but it's one of those: was he fronting up a bit for? the image which i could entirely believe of his character or was it quite the reverse and he was actually playing it down because he knew if he was too ostentatious you know the amount of money he could get fined and maybe uh, increased i honestly don't know i could believe either i do believe when he's saying nowadays he's not as rich as he used to be um the things we're going to learn about will explain why so all it remains for me to say is thank you geordie usual question how happy are you feeling right now do you know what I'm not going to lie, happier than last time. It's I a guess low maybe frustrated. Yeah, maybe frustrated because I'm sort of like, I'm happy in one regard that Gil looks to be on the out. But I also don't like the sound of Karen of um, Brewer. Karen Brewer is well named. I mean, I, yeah, she is the ultimate Karen. She doesn't need to speak to the manager because she is the manager. <laughs> Give any Karen a lion and this is what happens. This is, this is why they need to be removed from all positions of power systematically. And I stand by this. <laughs> and on that right, potentially controversial note, we're going to end for a day as angry women called Karen will doubtless flood our mentions. Yeah, uh, just remains for me to say, Geordie, thank you as ever. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Uh, I, I was going to say really enjoyed it. I don't want to seem like I'm having too much fun, but, you know, I'm very interested. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thank you again to our wonderful listeners. Once more, just incredibly grateful and slightly astounded that you've made it this far. (laughs) But, um, you know, you are hugely, hugely appreciated. Uh, So a massive, massive thank you for, uh, for, for keeping listening and for all of your support. Please do join us next time for part five, tentatively titled Events Beyond His Control. Which remains me to say, in fact, this has been This Septic Isle. Once again, thank you.